Play ball. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. We hope that you're safe and healthy and thank you for listening. Hope that this can serve as a respite for you as we all deal with issues related to the coronavirus. Our theme for today's show is injuries and good health. And our guests today are Sports Info Solutions Injury Coordinator John Ferris and Dr. Aaron Gray, a youth and adult sports medicine physician at the University of Missouri who has presented in the past at baseball research conventions. He's researching uh, injury prevention and technology in sports medicine. Uh, Aaron and John, and, and I guess Aaron, uh, start us off first of all. Uh, tell us where you are and how you're doing. Yeah, I'm in uh, Columbia, Missouri, at the University of Missouri. And, you know, we've kind of in flyover country um, here, we really haven't been hit that hard. Locally, our town is a town of about 150,000 at the University of Missouri in Columbia, Missouri. We only have about 100 cases here in our county. And so it's been kind of interesting as we've seen what's happened on the coast. We really haven't felt that wave here. We're just starting to pick up in our clinics again. We're all wearing masks at all time and patients are wearing masks and we're trying to kind of move forward with life. And John? I'm here in lovely Allentown, PA, where it's cloudy and rainy. Mark, I'm sure you uh, see that outside (laughs) as well. Um, I just wanted to give one quick uh, shout out to my uh, grandma, Judy Torrey, who was just... uh, tested positive for coronavirus, so wishing her all the best, and uh, hopefully she's feeling okay right now. We certainly wish her the best uh, here from the folks here at uh, Sports Info Solutions. All right, so um, Aaron, there's a lot of things related to coronavirus to take in. You have been sharing some of them on your Twitter, and I was just wondering between all the polls and graphs and charts and jargon and infection rates and hospitalizations and deaths and antibody tests and excess deaths and weighing that against increased testing and overreporting and underreporting. There's so much for anyone who, even, even people who are interested in data can get overwhelmed by it. How are we supposed to take all of that in and, and what do you suggest that we look at? That's a great question. I mean, I think it's one of the hardest things is that this is the first, uh, you know, obviously pandemic that we've dealt with in the social media age. Um, and since it's the first one in 102 years. And so we are kind of inundated with just this waterfall of information. And it's hard to sort out what is true, what is, you know, a preprint of a small study that then has, you know, headlines that manipulate the study. And so one of my biggest things is I really try to follow like people that I trust on Twitter and then, you know, kind of little leap of faith to trust what they put out there. Um, and so I think that's one of the things is to start with a small group. And, you know, some of the people that I, I really respect a lot in this space, you know, some writers for some national publications, Helen Branswell for Stat News and Ed Young for The Atlantic, you know, they put out some really just great kind of summary pieces. And I think if you're just going to follow a couple people those are two good ones to start, and then you can see people that they trust, and you can start to expand your network that way. And we should mention that Aaron is on Twitter at M-I-Z-Z-O-U Sportsdoc. And just uh, kind of a, a follow-up to that, from what I remember of your presentations uh, and watching you at presentations uh, like at Sabre Seminar, uh, you're a master of summarizing studies. So first of all, what can you tell us about what's known regarding trying to train to play pro sports through a pandemic? Uh, nothing to very little, Um, you know, and I think that's one of the interesting things like watching these sports leagues and it's going to be really fascinating to watch each team because you might see some teams that whenever we get back that really come out of the gate strong because their teams are taking unique ways to train their athletes at home. And I've heard of, you know, some teams 
maybe they're sending, you know, every player a Peloton bike or, you know, who knows what they're doing. Um, and so it, it is fascinating because I think that, I mean, that is a kind of a competitive secret, probably what some teams are doing to try to prepare their athletes because we've never faced this. And so I, um, as far as the training perspective, it'll be very interesting to see whenever um, a training eventually competition resumes. Are there fears when it comes to resumption of play regarding athletes breathing the virus in uh, during competition and how that could manifest itself in baseball? Yeah, I would say absolutely. I mean, you know, it does look more and more that, you know, respiratory droplets um, uh, is a way for this to be transmitted. And so if we think about on the baseball field, you know, where do we have athletes in close proximity um, you know, at first base, um, at home plate, obviously, um, you know, the dugouts, I mean, I've seen things that maybe we're going to have the dugouts actually in the stands behind the dugout and try to space people. And so I think it's even more of a concern in your, your highly aerobic sports, you know, such as basketball and soccer, where you're breathing heavily, where you're going to be spreading potentially more, but even in baseball, which is relatively, um, you know, physically distanced, there still are some, are some times when players, umpires, coaches are in close proximity. Stepping back a little bit, John, uh, what are some of the things that you're keeping an eye on? I should mention that John's Twitter is V-E-R-R-O-S-J-O-H-N, maybe from more of a a physical therapy uh, training perspective. Yeah, so obviously I I try to stay as up-to-date as possible on the individuals in the MLB and and tracking their injuries. Just anything I can get my hands on, I'll I'll read it. Um, I mean, these guys that have had injuries – um, that we're going to come into the 2020 season uh, have had obviously a little bit more time to get prepared. Um, so I've been trying to keep an eye on these guys who have had more time to maybe like uh, Justin Verlander, who's had some um, a groin surgery, who's had some more time given to him to try and come back from that and have a, whenever play does resume, uh, a more healthy 2020 season. Um, but also I, I've been thinking about uh, a lot lately of, what these players who haven't had injuries are trying to do to stay in shape off the field at home. I don't know if these guys are, I don't know if they're like on a zoom call like we are right now with their, with their trainers, if they have like exact exercises that their trainers want them to do to try and stay healthy or to be prepared when they come back from the season. I don't know if they're just sitting on the couch watching movies like me. I don't know. So I'm, (laughs) I've been really curious at what these players have been doing. Um, and yeah, that's, that's a big question mark right now. Aaron, one of the things that you brought up recently on Twitter was that with youth sports, you could see scenarios where, where everyone needed to be masked. Uh, what, what were you getting at with that? Well, I think that, you know, it's fascinating. There are youth baseball tournaments happening this coming weekend. And that amazes me that we are already pushing that envelope. And so I kind of threw that out there to say, okay, if we did, you know, in my, my opinion, if we did start back soon to some of these, what, what maybe could be some things that we could do to make it safer? In this tournament that I've read about, um, and, and uh, there was a great piece in um, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch over the last few days about this uh, a tournament. They talked to the tournament director you know, they're doing strange things like having the home plate umpire behind um, the, the pitching mound. They're having the catcher an extra couple feet back behind home plate. So I'm like, every ball is going to bounce in front of the catcher, even <laughs> if it's a strike. I mean, it sounds like disaster. And so I think that, you know, on the, lo- the youth level, we really just have to take a step back and be like, is it worth it? I mean, this is not baseball, what they're describing. It's kind of some interesting, you know, 
uh, post, you know, COVID hybrid of it. And, you know, maybe we should just wait a second. Maybe we should try to consider, you know, masking all players. I don't know. And I kind of threw it more out there as like a scenario, but we, you know, I think that we are going to have to think outside the box. And that's what, if you're looking at the Korea baseball organization, uh, you know, and how they've started off, I mean, they're doing, you know, I think that coaches and umpires are masked there. So I think it's just some things that we're going to have to think about. What are some of the things that you would um, that you would say to look at? This is for both of you uh, as to how much time an athlete needs to prepare for the major league season. Yeah, so I mean, I've been um, trying to uh, obviously keep updated on these players and, and what they're doing, but I mean, I've read anywhere from two weeks to two months, and especially these pitchers who are going to need a bunch of time to come back. I don't know if they're if they've been deloading, meaning they're just kind of uh, working at like 40, 50, 60 percent what they can actually do in terms of their max workload, or if they've just been hanging out like I was talking about and doing almost nothing. For these pitchers, it could take them some time. And say that the, the MLB season does start in July, we might even be seeing some pitchers who normally could last six innings easily. They they might have a training staff who says, hey you're going to go in for what we're hoping is three innings and we'll just go from there. Maybe in August, we'll get you back up to six innings, but they're going to need time to go from maybe pitching 50 times, 60 times, 70 times per day per game. It's going to take them some time. Yeah, I think that I completely agree. I think pitchers is a really interesting thing. And we know pitchers and catchers report early for spring training. And it's not like those pitchers are just sitting on the beach and then they show up at spring training. I mean, they have been throwing, they have been building, you know, long tossing, if they're into that. Um, You know, they've been building up their strength. And so I think that's the thing now. I mean, you're seeing clips of, you know, pitchers throwing with their spouses, you know, and so they're not going (laughs) to they're not going to be getting that full training. And so, you know, even, you know, if we look at when pitchers and catchers report, you know, just to the end of spring training, I think that's what usually six or seven weeks. I mean, I think that we have to almost go another four weeks before that. And so that's kind of crazy to think about that timeline. That would be saying today, okay, you know, you can start training with the throwing partner, you know, that's eight to 10 weeks from now. And so, you know, this July 1st, you know, kind of date has been uh, rumored on Twitter over the last couple of days, you know, and I, I mean, I think that there's definitely nothing's happening sooner than that. But even that seems like a little, a little bit of a rush for me, even if today you said, yeah, you can get back and train. What about for something like running? Uh, I mean, ideally in, in this, you can find a way to do that. But I, w- I would think that there are athletes that are going to be more susceptible to hamstring injuries uh, as a result of this layoff, too. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely concerned about muscle injuries, like you were just saying, like hamstring strains. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious, and obviously we'll be tracking at SIS all these injuries that are going to happen when the season starts up anyways. But I'm curious to see if there's some sort of trend here, if, if we're going to see more than usual or just the same amount of hamstring strains, any t- type of muscle injury or just injuries in general. But yeah, I would say that uh, especially guys running from – home to first or trying to round first and get to second or outfielders sprinting after fly balls. Yeah. These, these players are, uh, are definitely thrown off of what they're typically doing uh, to prepare for a season. So it, it'll be interesting to see. 
Yeah, you know, if you look at the um, you know body part and injury that kind of leads the Major League Baseball that I looked a few years ago, I mean, it was hamstring strains, adductor strains, which is groin strains, and oblique strains. I mean, those are all muscle injuries, you know, and we know that kind of gradually increasing the load, gradually increasing the running and sprinting is so key for that. And so um, those are already the most common, and it's definitely something I'm worried about. I mean, I think that Achilles injuries, you know, spiked in, you know, the NBA after lockout one time. So I think it's something that that's why all those athletes athletic training staff, medical staff, strength conditioning staff, they really want to get these guys back in plenty of time before a season starts. What are you telling a scholastic athlete now who's watching what's going on and who doesn't necessarily have the resources of a professional athlete uh, who wants to keep in shape or stay in shape or prepare themselves for fall season even? Yeah, you know, I mean, we've um, – already been seeing actually some throwing injuries from resuming throwing um and just <laughs> today and um i think the biggest thing is that it's going to take time to build up your throwing just like we were talking about for the pros and i always say like it's ridiculous for a youth athlete to think that they are they can do more throwing or recover quicker than a professional athlete and so if the pros are going to take one to two months to build up why in the world would a high school aged pitcher be able to go out and throw three to five innings after not throwing at all for two months? And that is what we're going to be seeing happen with these uh, rush to some of these tournaments. Uh, when it comes to these uh, high school or maybe even college athletes uh, who are at home and they're trying to stay in shape, um, I mean, anything from plyometrics to just body weight exercises to to just running outside where you can stay your uh, socially distant uh, space away from people. I mean, it's all uh, a good way of staying in shape. Obviously it's going to be very difficult to have sports specific movements because you're not going to have these trainers around. You're not going to have teammates to help do these exercises with. So there's certain things you can do and you can find some things laying around the house. Sure. It'll keep you in a little bit of shape. Yeah. You can keep your core in shape a little bit, but it's not going to be the same. So you just have to do your best. You have to try and eat the nutrients and, and vitamins to try and help your body maintain and even possibly grow. But it, it's going to be a struggle for sure for these athletes. Yeah, I think that really, uh, you know, these next couple months for athletes, they really have to look at them like this is November and December in the normal year, you know, for a high school athlete looking to play in the spring. And I always tell my athletes that time of the year, yes, you're working on your core, you're working on your hips, you know, you're doing a lot of band work, a lot of like posterior shoulder strengthening, all that stuff that kind of preseason strengthening to get you ready to throw in January and February, and then ready to really start practicing ramping up in March. And so I think that you almost have just to back all the way off to that last off season and really start from there. Is there are there any specific exercises that someone can do from home that are that are nice and easy that, that you could literally like you could literally do in your bedroom? I mean, yeah, sure. You can <laughs> if you want to work on the core, you can be doing some uh, planks or you can be doing some uh, I don't know, even even sit ups, but push ups, lunges, uh, body weight squats. Uh, if you have resistance bands at home, I mean, it makes things that. Uh, a little bit easier, especially for a baseball player who maybe wants to work on uh, maybe the rotator cuffs or, or some post-out work, uh, putting a, re a resistance band in a door, closing the door, and, and doing some internal and external rotation, things like that. That can definitely help. I'd say there's the Thrower's 10 program has been around for a while, you know, and you can find PDFs and videos online that talks a lot of those, those specific exercises that John's talking about. And so, yeah, you buy a you know set of bands online, you can 
not uh, you can have a contactless delivery and you can get, you know, start your preseason right now. And so I think you have to utilize a lot of these resources that some athletes haven't had to, to do before. Um, Aaron, uh, what are, uh, I, I know that when you've spoken at other, uh, presenta- at other conferences, at conferences that you've, uh, so you've been good at summarizing studies, as I said, are there studies that you've seen recently, whether they be coronavirus related or not, that you, that have particularly piqued your interest in the last few months? Well, I think there's so many interesting coronavirus uh, studies that are coming out literally <laughs> today. And I think about 20 minutes ago, I saw like some tweets about this Major League Baseball antibody study that they did where they had uh, 10,000. I think John Heyman was first reported it. You know, there's 10,000 um, like players and staff um, from the different teams to this test. And it looks like their uh, 1% uh, came back with positive antibodies. Um, you know, and so I think that is showing that, yes, COVID-19 is not widespread, at least amongst this population that was tested. Um, and so that's that's one recent one. Um, but I think, you know, one, just one comment, too, on that. I mean, with all these new studies coming out, this is different than the typical sports medicine or medical studies that come out. A lot of these studies are coming out what we call preprint, which is they've not been reviewed. It is only the authors of the study who are saying, hey, this is what we found. Let's put it out there. Normal process is you submit this preprint and then it gets reviewed by two to three other kind of peers, um, anonymous across the country or world, and then editors look at it and they only accept the highest rated. So I think that's one thing where um, at times now in the medical community, we're seeing these articles come out that really have no review. It's just like, if I think it, I can write it and I can put it out there. And so that's why you're seeing some of these things then step back or walk back a little bit, you know, weeks later when they're like, yeah, maybe that wasn't so accurate. That's part of the, the issue that I was talking about before with the just mountains of things coming at you uh, every single day. Um, are there any things before the coronavirus that happened that you, that you had noticed uh, studies with regards to player usage or pitcher usage or, or anything that was a particularly interesting uh, baseball-related topic that got you going? Yeah, so I, and uh, Dr. Gray, I think you had possibly tweeted about this, um, but there there was this awesome conference recently uh, that was released from ASMI about pitchers and training staffs using weighted balls and how if used in the wrong way or used in the wrong population, um, these have, this has been seen to be extremely detrimental to the, the health of the elbow of pitchers in particular, especially young pitchers who are trying to use these one and two pound weighted balls and just trying to go crazy to try and jack up their uh, velocity of their pitch will, while really not realizing the health risk that's associated with trying to speed up that process um, faster than it's supposed to go. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I think we're going to see a lot more um, studies looking at, um, you know, weighted balls, um, plyo balls, different types of training. You know, I think that that field is still in its infancy. You know, we've only had really a couple kind of like high quality studies in that. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, it's one of these things we say in sports medicine where, you know, if all the pro teams are using it, well then we, you know, or most pro teams are using something, then we know that we're going to see a trickle down. And so we can't just keep our head in the sand and say, nope, that doesn't work. You know, there's no evidence that it works. We have to keep like looking at this and studying it and figuring out and kind of keeping an open mind because there are times when, you know, we think something is one way, 
And then we actually learned later on, oh, wait, those, those first couple studies that showed, no, it's actually, if you look at, you know, more studies, it actually shows that something does work. And so I think that's, you know, I think still the jury's out on that, but it's definitely something that, yeah, if you have a kid with open growth plates and they're throwing really heavy things, not, you know, doing a good training program, I mean, there definitely is risk of injury with that. Because we always say with a growth plate, so a kid who really hasn't gone through puberty yet, the growth plate is the weakest link. And so once you get to where you're through puberty, then the growth plate closes and your, you know, your elbow, your shoulder basically is a lot more stronger. You have less things that can get messed up. John, did you have any uh, specific players other than Verlander that you were particularly interested in seeing how they uh, they were to develop uh, if there was to be a season? Yeah, on top of Verlander, I mean, I've been I've been just kind of crossing my fingers for Aaron Judge, hoping that uh, the next set of CT scans that come out are are positive. I mean, his uh, his injury has been kind of plaguing him the past few months, and I know back in March they finally came out and said definitively that they believe that this is a stress fracture in the first rib on his right side. He had been talking about pectoral pain and shoulder pain, and they finally narrowed it down to this. And it's been two months already, and they still have uh, yet to really – I mean, I think they've been working with him hands-on. I mean, they have to be. They've been saying he's been improving, but they haven't said anything in – in definitive uh, nature that like, Hey, he's, he's hundred percent healthy. And when the season starts, he's ready to go. So I've been keeping an eye on that guy, hoping that uh, everything works out for him. One thing I think will be interesting to watch as well is, you know, these teams that made it far into the postseason last year, you know, there's often this kind of like a uh, lull afterwards, like spring training happens so quickly. Well, they get this massive <laughs> break now, you know, and then these teams that, that were, you know, were eliminated, you know, they barely even played their, their opening day starters in September. They're going to have, I mean, it's going to be like nine months almost. It's going to feel like since they play a competitive game. And so I think that's going to be kind of fascinating to see that some of these teams, just everything's so different. Everything's so new, you know, and it's going to be really interesting when things start up to see what works. I think there'll be many interesting books that'll be written on performance training uh, once these, you know, next few seasons um, are completed. There are going to be many interesting books on a lot, a lot, a lot of things uh, going on. All right. So last thing. We're all hoping for a season. We all know the different scenarios that are out there at this point with possibilities for different dates and who the heck knows if they're going to be able to make a two-city plan, a one-city plan, or a three-city plan work. Um, But I I guess there are all sorts of questions that come out of this. One would be, what if this continues into August, September, whatever, and they restart and something happens that, that... causes trouble. Dr. Gray, um, how would you evaluate and like look at where, uh, where things could go with that? Yeah, I think that's one of the most fascinating questions to, to think about the, all this. I mean, what if, you know, what if a first baseman for a team tests positive? So the season's been going great, two months, you know, there's been no infections, and then all of a sudden the first baseman, you know, for the Cardinals Goldschmidt, tests positive. Um, so, you know, now if you test positive, you really, anyone that, so, you know, you're out indefinitely, anyone that you've been in close contact with, um, should be quarantined for 14 days. Even if you test negative right away, you should still be kind of quarantined for 14 days because you still could develop symptoms eventually. So what does that do to the schedule? You know, competitively, you would have to kind of go back and maybe look at some of the teams that had recently played you know, is everybody that made it to first base has to be quarantined for that team. Um, And that's really kind of the, I think one of the like things that, I mean, it is a good chance that something like that could happen. And 
how is that, how does that play out? It's going to be different in each sport. And so, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting thing to, to think about, um, you know, how we, what happens to the schedule? What happens, you know, do we, do we forgive those games? So I don't know if you guys have some thoughts on that as well. I, I don't, John, I, I don't know if, if you want to bring it. Nope. I've got nothing to add. It, it'll be yeah. super interesting to see so what happens. I, I guess the point is that right there, what you did, is probably someone went in a room and in Major League Baseball and said all of those things, and now they're trying to figure out like what the heck do we do we do off of that? That that's where we are at this point in the process. Yeah, and I think that's going to be. I mean, yes, those plans. I mean, those things are being done behind closed doors now, and I think those will be the interesting question um, for the media to figure out as we get really close because you know, every, every college now is thinking about that. I mean, any professional sport, any, you know, has to think about that because honestly, it's going to happen. I mean, if you look at some of the testing of like, uh, of soccer in Germany, you know, where they kind of like, Oh, they're thinking they're getting close to getting back. There is, you know, a small percentage of players that tested positive. And so how we handle that, you know, will teams call up their minor league squad for a while, um, to, you know, play the games, um, you know, do they, uh, so it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Uh, at the very least, it will be interesting to see what happens. All right, uh, Dr. Gray, thank you. John, thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Mark. This wraps up this edition of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. For Dr. Aaron Gray and John Veros and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thanks for tuning in. Check out our newest baseball book, The Fielding Bible, Volume 5, out March 1st. This book gives a comprehensive look at our new and improved defensive run save stat. It features essays on all 30 teams, research and studies on important topics, and stats and analysis you can't find anywhere else. That's Fielding Bible Volume 5, available at actasports.com, that's A-C-T-A sports.com, or wherever you buy your books online. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS. 